Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of No Rain Date, your local podcast for local news and interviews. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with some of the big headlines that everybody's talking about for the week ending February 13th, 2021. Of course, weather continues to dominate the news here in East Central Pennsylvania. It has been snowing and cold for the last two weeks. It all really started with the huge snowstorm that began on January 31st and continued for two days and that left over 27 inches officially at the airport in Allentown but other parts saw more than 30 inches and a lot of that snow is still on the ground. We had some melting a couple days earlier in the month when the temperature was close to 40 degrees but Now we seem to be in the deep freeze, and it looks like it's going to stay that way through the Valentine's Day, President's Day weekend. So if you have plans, they're hopefully somewhere inside near a cozy fire because you're going to want to uh, cuddle up and enjoy some inside time, I would think. Unless you're a skier, and then you might want to hit the slopes because, honestly, the conditions have probably not been better Just in the last week, we had a couple of minor snow events that left anywhere from a trace amount to four to five inches. So that's just kind of refreshed the snowpack that was already on the ground and kept it, you know, very deep. I haven't seen anything like this. I would say it's been about 10 years since we've had snow cover like this except for the 2016 blizzard, but that was sort of an anomaly and was a wet snow. This is kind of like a a regular thing here right now. So that's unusual for this area and in recent years. There are a couple storm systems on the horizon. We'll continue to report on the forecast because I know it can affect many activities here, especially work and school. And Saugan Valley students have used up several of their snow days, as have many of the other local districts. Typically, they begin the year with four or five, so they probably don't have too many left to use without potentially cutting into the summer break or losing holidays in the spring. They had a delay earlier this week, a two-hour delay, so I'm sure the administration will do their best to keep everybody safe, but at the same time, not overuse the the snow days. And I know that's a tough call in many cases. We continue to follow a police slash traffic story. A tragic accident occurred on Route 33 South at the I-78 interchange in Lower Saucon Township on February 5th. If you're familiar with Route 33 South, it essentially ends at the junction with 78, which is just south of the Lehigh River Bridge. And at that point, the road widens 
and divides into the two exit ramps, one to I-78 eastbound and one to I-78 westbound. In this accident, two vehicles that were obviously close together and nearing that junction were going in opposite directions. And the details have not really emerged yet, but somehow they came into contact with one another. And one of the vehicles went off the road, hit a median in the, a barrier rather, in the median between the north and the southbound lanes on 33 and flipped over. Tragically, several of the occupants of the vehicle were ejected, including children. And everybody that was in the vehicle was injured. A three-year-old boy died from his injuries. Certainly, children should be in car seats and at all times in a moving vehicle. And the investigation will have to play out as to why they weren't. But that's just a tragedy that that they weren't. And at least there weren't more deaths. However, we send our... uh, well wishes to anybody that was affected by that by that accident and like I said the police have not released names of the victims they did conduct an accident reconstruction on 33 right after the accident happened so the road was actually closed for about six and a half hours with traffic detoured onto Freemansburg Avenue after this happened the accident scene itself looked pretty devastating. I believe it was Channel 6 Action News that had either photo or video of the accident scene, the wreckage in the roadway. That was obviously after the injured parties were taken to the hospital. I should say it was a 35-year-old woman and four children that were injured that were all traveling in the same vehicle. And they are from upstate New York near Syracuse. We don't know their condition. That was not disclosed by the police. But certainly the issue of accidents on 33 and 78 in Lower Saucon is an issue that is one that, you know, is regularly reported on. I know that because I'm writing about it with pretty scary regularity, I would say. Accident statistics are another matter, but, you know, as far as comparing the safety of the roadway with other highways... However, a number of people commented when we shared our initial story about this accident that they feel the junction between 33 and 78 is not ideally designed and or signed because I know this from experience. It it does not seem like there's a lot of signs alerting you as you're approaching it that you have to be in the right lane if you want to go get onto I-78 West or the left lane if you want to go on to I-78 East towards New York. The left lane is the lane that actually widens and splits into two, but the right lane does not do that. So that's essentially an exit-only lane. So you might have somebody in that lane that suddenly realizes, whoa, I'm going on to I-78 West and I need I-78 East, and at the last minute tries to veer over into the left lane I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but I've certainly seen that happen myself driving that stretch of road. I'm not sure why it was designed that way. This goes back nearly 20 years to when the 33 extension between 22 and 78 was built. But that interchange has had its share of issues, including truck rollovers on the sort of cloverleaf off and on ramps between 78 and 33. It's a very sharp turn, as many people know, and 
It does not always take a lot for uh, one of these huge tractor trailers to either be going a little too fast or overweight. You know, I'm sure a variety of issues could contribute to rollovers there, including weather. In this case, weather did not seem to be an issue. It was not precipitating at the time of this accident on February 5th. Uh, It did happen around uh, 8 o'clock at night. The road conditions themselves did not seem to be an issue, and certainly that was not highlighted in the state police news release. The state police at Belfast continue to investigate, and as I said, we will continue to follow that story. Turning to local business, we have a lot of business news from the Hellertown area, especially for this time of year. We have reported recently on the opening of the Vibe Nutrition, which is a smoothie and energy drink, meal replacement drink bar, you could call it, that is located at 650 Main Street, just a couple doors from Sock and Source. So uh, if you're ever ever over there, you might want to stop by and say hi or give us a heads up that you're going to be there and, and, and we'll come meet you. We have a great story about them and their menu. It's something new and different for Hellertown, so check that out. Also opening in the same neighborhood is Maple Street Woodworking, a new lumber store, which is owned by Phil Coxmeyer. And Phil is going to be joining us shortly for an interview about his new business. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. Phil is having a grand opening this weekend through Saturday, February 13th with some great raffle prizes. And of course, you can check out the store. The whole building has been renovated. If you're familiar with the Hellertown area, you know that for many years, it was a laundromat. That was its last use. Brown's laundromat closed several years ago. It's exciting to see the building come back to life, especially with new paint and signage. And you'll definitely want to want to check it out. And he has some great variety of hardwoods, exotic woods for your woodcrafting projects or whatever else you might need them for. If you need wood, I think you'll want to visit Phil at Maple Street Woodworking in Hellertown, and that's at 76 West Water Street, and we'll, we'll have more details about that in the interview. Also this week, Yanni's Taverna, well-known Greek restaurant in Lower Saucon Township, officially reopened with a ribbon-cutting ceremony that was held with the Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber of Commerce. I was uh, delighted to be there for that along with a number of chamber members and, of course, loyal uh, patrons of Yanni's. Yanni's was closed for about three and a half years from June 2017 until November of last year due to a devastating fire. It's exciting to see the building brought back to life. The interior renovations are gorgeous. It feels more open to me, especially now that they have moved the bar, which uh, used to be in a corner of the dining room, and now it's sort of right near the middle, a big oval bar. Just a, a nice sort of European vibe there. So we have some photos of the inside, the food, the drinks. It was a, a great evening, and uh, many, many local elected officials also attended, including Hellertown Mayor David Heinzelman, Lower Saucon Township Councilwoman Priscilla de Leon, and newly elected state representative from the 131st District, Milou McKenzie. They all spoke along with the owners of Yanni's, Maria 
Xenakis Manakos and her sister-in-law, Melissa Manta Xenakis. So uh, I know they were very delighted to see the turnout and the support, especially on a, on a cold winter's night. You really forgot about that once you got inside, though. Uh, the, the atmosphere is Mediterranean and sort of takes you away to the Greek Isles, if you feel the need for that. And who doesn't <laughs> right now? Uh, you might want to plan your, your next visit. In sports, we have a great story by Keith Riefenstahl about the Lady Panther wrestlers and how they're killing it on the mat. Sophia Real, Aliana, Mateo, and Zoe Coronado are the triple threat for the Panthers this year, the female triple threat. Shout out to all three of them for what they're doing. It's not always easy to be the new person in the field, the new kid on the block, which if you're a female wrestler, you typically are. Although it seems like there's a trend throughout high school wrestling, at least in Pennsylvania, to have more female wrestlers competing. I've noticed that, especially this season, that's pretty exciting to see sports, you know, evolve just like everything else does and and change as a part of life. So I think they're feeling a lot of love from the community and um, we're grateful to have the opportunity to sort of help share their story and we wish them the best as the season continues, quickly coming to an end, but they still have some action to see. Finally, we have a story this week about a retired nurse from Center Valley, Sam Miranda. You could call this sort of a local hero profile. Sam is a nurse at St. Luke's Allentown campus, and he actually came out of retirement to help administer the COVID vaccine to patients there. Obviously, with vaccination efforts ramping up, it's sort of an all-hands-on-deck situation with hospitals and healthcare workers right now. He's working up to 12 hours a day, giving this life, potentially life-saving vaccine to hundreds, if not thousands, of patients. There continue to be some supply issues. Demand is obviously still high, and different health networks, pharmacies, distribution points have different protocols and rules for how they're distributing the vaccine and and how widely they're distributing distributing it at this point. The state has opened it up to individuals between 16 and 64 if they have an underlying health condition that would qualify them, and that's a pretty long list of things. So we have that information in, in various stories we published, you can also find it on the Pennsylvania Health Department website, of course. But even if you meet the requirement, it can be a challenge to get an appointment. Rite Aid recently began offering the vaccine to individuals in that category. And I should add also essential workers. You should check your job against the list of professions that are considered essential by the Commonwealth that could also qualify you We certainly want everybody that is qualified to get vaccinated as soon as possible and in an orderly manner because it will help our economy recover. It will help save lives, of course. It has a lot of benefits for our society at this point. And I think most will agree that we need the help. So everybody needs to do their part. And I hope you will also help others, maybe loved ones who are not 
computer savvy, help them schedule appointments because they may need that assistance. That's our news roundup for this week. We hope you'll join us again next week. And now we have our interview with Phil from Maple Street Woodworking. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure on this week's episode of No Rain Date to welcome a new business owner here in Hallertown, Phil Koksmeyer, who is actually a native of the area and came back recently to open Maple Street Woodworking, which is on Water Street in Hallertown. We're excited to welcome them to the business community and we're excited to have Phil here to tell us more about his business. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we recently had an article about Maple Street Woodworking, which is actually going to be located in the former Browns laundromat. (laughs) If you're a longtime resident of the area, you know where that is. A few doors down from Main Street, but basically in the heart of Hellertown in, in a very up and coming strip of like small businesses along Water Street, which is exciting to see. You originally started your wood or your rather your lumber business when you were living in in Ohio. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that began? Yeah, so long story short, I met my wife after college out there and we had bought a house and that took up about everything I had, so I went to a, a pawn shop and got a few basic tools and then went around and found free lumber and down barns and whatnot and started putting stuff together for furniture around the house. And that turned into a pretty expensive hobby. So I started uh, trying to sell it and mm-hmm. then uh, eventually was able to graduate from the smaller stuff up to the bigger stuff, the actual pieces, and then all the way up to 
kitchen cabinets eventually, but phased out of my day job and started doing that. And uh, up until I moved back to the area in June, I was doing everything out of a two-car garage and just living the dream, I guess. But yeah, so it's, uh, it was necessity born. I'm self-taught by trial and error, and people who do woodworking know exactly what I mean. There's frustrating times, but there's a lot of rewarding times. So anyway, that's pretty much the story in short, how I came to do what I'm doing. That's pretty amazing, though. I mean, to to me, that you were able to teach yourself all that. Did you have like any experience as like a teenager making, you know, projects in wood shop or anything like that in your background? No, I uh, I went to a private school all growing up that did not have any shop class, so didn't have any any teaching or of any sort. I I always did enjoy working with my hands, though it was kind of a natural affinity for me to do work with my hands is rewarding mm-hmm. i felt accomplished when i was done felt like i could help people and so yeah just kind of stemmed from that i found that it me and woodworking meshed pretty well and it was just fun to create stuff get get to use your imagination or a lot of times people would just send me a picture and say hey you know this is what we're looking for and and then you get to sit back and even though the picture's right there you still have to start the designing process from scratch because you got to figure out proportions to the sizes they want and, and what wood type to use and so on and so forth. So, you know, and then putting it all together just is really satisfying. And that's just, yeah, I just kind of just grew in love with it. Right, right. Well, you must have some natural talent there for sure because I know, like, if I see a block of wood or a piece of wood, I just see. A block of wood like I have no vision for it or anything you must be able to sort of you know picture you know well that would be good for making a coffee table or something like that is that kind of how it works yeah pretty much because I never really even fancy myself as good in art class a lot of times I wouldn't even necessarily say I'm an artist because I don't feel like an artist but other people argue the point because of what I do but, you know, I, I think, I think honestly, the best word for it is that I've been blessed and I'm trying to bless others with it. And so out of that just comes the natural talent, I guess, that you're, you're speaking of. And even for me to say that, it, it sounds to me more prideful than I want it to be because I want to be as humble as possible in my woodworking business. And, and I, I want to continue to grow and get better so that I can help those around have what they want in their home or what they need in their home, not just you know a piece of furniture here and there you know I, I try and have you know when i make a piece of furniture i get to look at all the wood that goes into it and i get to take the best pieces that i find out of that pile and when i design the piece i make sure i use certain pieces in certain places so that at the end of the project the the furniture and the wood grain itself speaks for itself not necessarily not even so much as the craftsman behind it but that the wood can speak for itself and really kind of have provide its own wow factor you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm curious to know your thoughts about the consumer marketplace and whether that's changing whether people are more interested in real wood furniture because for decades it seems like there was a movement more towards you know buying things either at big box stores or ikea which is like a lot of particle board and who are your customers? Are they like older people that are more like traditionalists or do you have younger people, a mix? Honestly, it's a pretty good mix across the board. But as far as the hardwood lumber sales themselves, even that is a good mix. But you do find a lot of younger people coming out 
trying to get into the craft and which is encouraging to see because I think woodworking itself is a dying trade, you know. And so what I what I try and instill in my customers when I got the opportunity is that, you know, you want to buy good wood, you want to make things that are going to last, you want to take the time to do it right and teach yourself, not just grab material that's not good and just start throwing it together the quick and easy way because it's not going to last. It's going to give you a bad rep and it's just going to be a dissatisfied customer. So what I try and encourage is that. So finding the people that really want to do that is it's still a little bit more challenging, but in all reality, I think woodworking is starting to come back and that's really the goal of that, that hardwood lumber store. It's not, it, it is a business, so I got to pay bills, but for me, it's much more trying to build the community back up and have a central location for people to come, bounce some stories off each other, bounce some ideas, and really raise each other up, not only to build a better product, but also just to have a lot of fun. Because, you know, there's just not that many people out there to do that. Fortunately, it's, it's nice to see people are, are coming back and they're, they're starting to do it. But now, now we're at a point where all right, now we're getting the crowd back. Now we need to help them look at it and do it correctly, not quickly. There's a difference there. So by, by buying hardwood lumber, I mean, you're already in the right spot because it's just a much better quality product than the softer woods and construction materials that you can buy at the box stores. Right. Do they even sell hardwood lumber at like Lowe's or something? They do, but it's pretty much only that. They got poplar oak and sometimes they've got maple. But to give you an idea of the prices that they charge, if you do the math, everything in the hardwood lumber business is sold by the board foot, which is it's kind of a weird calculation. But it's basically length times width times thickness in inches, and then you divide it by 144. So you find the volume, essentially. But anyhow, if you were to take a piece of oak from Lowe's at the price that they have and calculate the board footage of it and then you know, divide that amount into the price, you're going to come out around $8.50 a board foot for a piece of red oak. I sell it for $3.50 a board foot. And, and that means not only am I making money, but the mill I bought it from is making money, which means the prices from Lowe's are just outrageous. Uh, right. When it comes to that. So, you know, now, you know, my stuff's in the rough zone. I, I do offer planing and joining services if need be, but even then, you're going to be still way less than half the price of loads if I have to do it for you. But I would encourage people that are listening to this that, you know, if you can afford a planer or something, it's well worth the investment if you see yourself doing it for even even six months. Because there's something, my favorite part about the entire project from every, from day one, every single project is running it through the planer for the first time. Because it's almost like, almost like opening a present from you know, around the Christmas tree because you just, you, you see, you have a general idea what you might get, but then when you run it through the planer, it's like taking that gift wrap off. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Then you really see what you got and you can really expose the grain and then you can really start to see your piece come and take shape and, and how you're going to make it and where the pieces are going to fit. So that's my two cents on that, I guess. Because the planer sort of like exposes the grain, is that right? Yeah, so a planer, so everything at the shop is is called is what you call rough sawn. So rough sawn would be you take a log to the mill and they cut it. Well, they're using either a bandsaw sawmill, which is a you know thin blade that cuts. It'll leave kind of lines on the board, and then you also they do have the circular, the big circular saws, you know the you know twenty inch plus, you know all the way up to. 
three feet and bigger yet on the on the blades and they cut it well when they do that you see all the saw marks in it still pretty thick and, and whatnot but they also if i need a finished size board at three quarters of an inch they're going to cut it at what they call four quarter which is uh, is a full inch uh, and then they put it in the kiln and that's what dries it so when it comes out of the kiln it's still even though it's dry it still has all those marks on it it's still on the heavy side of the thickness and it's not smooth at all and you can't you can't really get it with a sander yet even so you have to run it through a planer so a planer has a you know some sort of spinning head on it inside a rotary head that's got knives they have straight blade knives and they have spiral head cutters spiral head cutters are more expensive and also more efficient and better but the straight blade knife i used one of them for a long time and they do fine but they take and they cut back all of the rough stuff off of the outside of the, the piece of wood so it, so you can really expose like a finished feel piece of wood versus something that looks you know rough is the only word really to describe it gotcha you also still have it's going to be your third location actually because you also still have your store in ohio and you have a a workshop in Quakertown too? Or is the workshop sort of like open to the public or is that more just where you create your uh, pieces? Yeah, so yeah, you're right. I have a storefront in Cedarville that is open on Saturdays in Cedarville, Ohio. It's open on Saturdays and I do get quite a few custom orders from out there yet. And then, then of course, it's a little showroom, so occasionally people will buy stuff off the floor and stuff. And then my shop in Quakertown the idea is to have that open to the public. I've been in it just for a few months now, and I the downstairs I'm going to have a showroom, but I have not had the time to make the pieces for it yet. So anybody wants to come check it out, they're more than welcome to. They're just not going to have any furniture pieces. They're just going to be looking at the showroom for now because I'm not ready for that part yet. But, yeah, then this lumber store is going to be the third location there. And I'd like to have a small little showroom up front of some smaller pieces here and there, but... Another unique thing I want to do with that front section and why I probably won't crowd it too much with show pieces necessarily is because I think it would be fun to have a small little meeting area for people like me to bring their clients to and go over projects because what you'll find a lot is customers know what they want, but they don't think much about what wood type is going into it. They, you know, especially if they want to paint it, they, they really don't care. But there's price points that can be, you know, in different, the different types of woods have different prices, obviously. So then there's different characteristics. So you have to mesh your price and characteristics with their budget and their expectations. A lot of times people just leave it up to you, but I, I like to have an experience created for both the contractor, for lack of a better word, and their customer. So if they wanted to use that space up in the front of the lumber store to meet, go over the project, and then when they've got the designing details down, then that contractor can walk their customer over into the wood showroom section and they can look at wood pieces together. And that way they can tell, well, I like this one, I don't like this one, what's the price of this, and so on and so forth. And it'll give both parties a better understanding of what needs to be accomplished and the process that it involves getting there. So I think it can be a really good experience. I can also think it can open up opportunities for that customer too. Just to make, you know, maybe it's like, well, you know, this is above my expertise now, but this could be fun for me to try and get into. And then next thing you know, we have another member of the woodworking community. So, yeah, I've got a lot of ideas for that place, but I think that could be a cool experience. Definitely. Sounds like a great concept to have 
people be able to come in and do that. I wanted to also ask you about some of the woods that we highlighted in the story. I mean, some of them are really, truly exotic woods. I've never even heard heard the names before. Uh, like, I don't know how to pronounce it. Black Limba, Jatoba. These are obviously not growing in the forest in Wassergas. Like, uh, <laughs> How do you source woods that are like that, and how do you know that they're being like sustainably harvested and not, you know, just cutting down the rainforest? Yeah, well, I get my lumber from local Pennsylvania mills, which means I do have to trust that they are sourcing them appropriately as far as the exotic woods are concerned. And so I, I also know part of the sustainability part is the consumer side, meaning that you know as the demand goes up you know and the supply goes down the price has to go up in order to justify it and if you can't if you can't afford it then you obviously can't use it and so on and so forth does that make sense so coronavirus stuff has kind of caused problems with importing and stuff like that too and, and mm-hmm. really has slowed things down a bit so that's why i don't order too terribly much exotics i have it to show and i know people use it and i think it's a great thing to have and I want to continue to have it, but I also don't think I'll ever have like hundreds of board feet of any in particular one myself. But I do have to trust the mills on that part of it for the exotic stuff. Now, the domestic stuff, they are Pennsylvania mills, and they're mostly harvesting Pennsylvania lumber. So that's kind of cool. So when you when you buy domestic stuff for me there in Hellertown, it is from Pennsylvania, hmm. the majority of it for sure. So. Last I knew, Pennsylvania, this could be different now, last I knew, Pennsylvania was leading supplier of hardwoods in the U.S. I didn't know that we yeah, had that any industry for hardwoods, like, let alone being the leader. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of trees in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I have noticed that, yeah. <laughs> as far as, like, the new lumber showroom, have you set it up with, like, climate controls because i know like wood is you know very vulnerable to humidity and things like that yeah i mean it's a brand new hvac system that was just put in like i don't know a month and a half ago so i did change a little bit how it was going to be piped so that it's not directly heated and stuff isn't directly on the lumber i changed i have to change the plans on that a little bit now it just goes straight down the middle and pretty much straight down so that the end of the lumber's up against the walls for the most part Wood is tricky like that because it definitely moves a lot. But this is all kiln-dried, too, so it should have very little movement left in it, especially in where the shop... I mean, it's nice and open, so it's not like it's just getting blasted or anything, you know what I mean? But given the space and what we've got in there, honestly, I feel that it's the best that we could possibly do with with what's available. Huh. Maybe I'm thinking of that because, like, I... A number of years ago, I bought a wood, like real wood blinds. And unfortunately, I did not think about the fact that they were going over like old windows in my house, which are like drafty mm-hmm. and like the moisture, like caused them to like warp yeah. over time. So yeah. that wasn't so good. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I tell you what, though, the uh, winter time especially is... It can be a woodworker's nightmare because everybody turns on the heat. Wood stoves are the worst. They just dry the air out completely. And so, you know, it's frustrating. And, you know, fortunately, I've found that most customers understand. I mean, there's you still do have to take care of it. That's, <laughs> you know, that's the nature of the beast. But 
the winter time is definitely difficult because of how dry the air becomes with those furnaces and wood stoves going all the time. But I've also, you know, I've, I've, I've made myself uh, some stuff here and there and, you know, raised panels. Sometimes they'll shrink in the wintertime, but come spring, they pop right back out to full size and you never even know it. It's, hmm. it's real weird like that, but it happens. Right. Yeah, it's a living, it's, well, it's not a living thing anymore once it's lumber, but it's it's a natural product, I mean, so it has that uh, yeah, okay. resiliency, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it still has the ability to pull moisture in and let go of moisture, so just by doing that, it's going to swell and shrink, and that's what causes the movement, so, which, you know, when you're, when you're teaching yourself, and you have to learn that lesson the hard way several times before you realize you got to make things certain ways, that can be challenging and frustrating, but those lessons learned are very valuable, especially when you start getting a name for yourself and you start doing bigger projects where you really can't afford the mishap like that anymore, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it can be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. One other thing I wanted to ask you about as far as the furniture that you make, like if somebody wanted a custom bedroom set, for example, or custom cabinets for their kitchen, how does the process for that work? Do you have like a catalog for them to sort of look through of, of things that you've made before or do you have like a, a website with you know photos on it how do they figure out what they what they want versus what you can produce yeah so this is how the process seemed to have always worked i either get an email a phone call text message or something through the website because on, on our website maplestreetwoodworking.com you can hit request a quote and then it'll come up with a text box that just goes straight to my email. So I'll see that and then I can respond accordingly. But pretty much since day one, if I have somebody request this or that, I go, I pretty much have met them at their house and then talk through everything, take measurements while I'm there and show them pictures of this or that. And the, the website, my wife does website. She does a pretty good job of getting stuff on there that shows a lot of different stuff. So, you know, one nice thing about doing everything custom is that you, can pretty quickly build a pretty cool portfolio because, you know, a lot of people go to custom, not just because they have a different, you know, different shaped space or something, but because they want different features that they just can't find or a combination of, of things, you know? So I can show them through some pictures and stuff, talk ideas. Sometimes, you know, it's easier. It's better for me if I see the space as far as, you know, quickness and brainstorming, because I can quickly look and say, Hey, this would work or this wouldn't work based on the total functionality that they want. But yeah, especially something like a kitchen, I would want to come out and look the place. And those, I come out for free and I do the free estimates and stuff. Always have planned to always do that way. I try and make customer service my number one priority, and that's part of it, in my opinion, because you know gives us both an experience, gets to meet each other, we get to know each other a little bit more, and then I know exactly what their space looks like, exactly what they're looking for, and every once in a while I can throw a harebrained idea out there that is kind of a little bit of a wow factor you know I mean I'm not always that creative but sometimes getting to know the person can unleash a little bit here and there and you know I like that time that I get to spend with the potential customer because I try and make my customers my friends in the long run and I hope that people can attest to that and see that when I do meet with them and go through the project but and you can ask a lot of folks I I take my work very personally so if something goes wrong I can beat myself up about it pretty easily because I, I, I mean, my my objective is to give the customer something great that they can be happy with and proud of, as well as gaining a friendship. So when something goes wrong, I feel it almost feels like I've 
unintentionally offended my friend at that point. Mm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of people would understand that feeling. So that's probably the best way to put it. But anyway, I uh, can understand that. I do <laughs> really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, yeah, so I really do enjoy uh, meeting the customer and seeing their house and kind of because it gives me a feel for kind of their style and everything. So it's helpful, I think, to just you know finish off a piece that would fit the best. But I also can do everything over email if I have dimensions, wood type, finish type, a picture of what they want. You know, if they're not that concerned about it, I can do all that over an email or phone call. Just usually takes me a a minute or two to get everything situated and then I'll fire back an email. It can be a pretty drawn out process and, you know, we can make the most of it or it can be really quick and easy and it's pretty much leave that up to the customer. I'm partial to the mission style and craftsman style arts and crafts uh, yeah. furniture because yeah. I have a house that's 1923 and so I have a lot of that furniture and, and in our article about Maple Street Woodworking we have a photo of a I think it's a coffee table looks like it's oak and it's in that style and it's just gorgeous do you yeah, make I, a lot of uh, mission style or reproduction sort of type furniture yeah I mean I'm kind of all across the board again the nature of being custom but i know what coffee table you're talking about and cool story about that actually out in ohio we bought a whole foreclosed house and i flipped the whole thing had a lot of help along the way but we did most of it ourselves and i built all the furniture and all the cabinets for it and now we run it as airbnb out there but that coffee table came from the rafters in an old section of the house that needed to be ripped out Hmm. And so I used, I reused the wood there. And so that wood and that table, because the house was built prior to 1900, and that was all rough hand hewn oak that was in the rafters. So that wood is all over 120 years old. Since it was put in the house, it was over 120 years old, which means, you know, that tree was, who knows, that tree could have started growing as a sapling 200, 250 years ago. You know, it's kind of cool to think about. And that's actually, I built it for my parents, so it's sitting, it's sitting at my parents' house now. <laughs> lucky, <laughs> lucky mom and dad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very attractive piece. You kind of touched on this just now, and I always wondered this. I've heard people say that the, that the quality of wood, like a hundred years ago, that was being used to build houses or make furniture was better than the quality that is typically found today. Is that true and if so why would that be the case because of the the age the age of the trees or that is true and the reason is human beings because back then production wasn't happening near as fast now production is happening very quickly on a lot of things so especially you know for for like construction lumber and stuff they'll have tree farms that are growing them quickly just to cut them down to create studs and keep going. And so what happens then, the older a tree is before you cut it, the tighter the growth rings are, okay? And so when you have really tight growth rings, you have really hard lumber and really stable lumber. When you have really wide growth rings because of quick growth and a young tree, you don't have the stability or the hardness right off the bat. And so because we're harvesting trees a lot faster than we did 100 years ago and if you think just think basic technology from 100 years ago to now you know the chainsaws and mills that we have now versus what they had then the capability of going faster is just i mean it's very obvious so that would be why Hmm. 
I always thought that, that, yeah, that that was true. And I've noticed it sort of with like even furniture that I have, like new wood furniture versus antiques that I have. It seems like, you know, you, you just brush up against the new wood furniture and it's got like a nick in it or something <laughs> like yeah. the antique. I mean, yep. it's almost indestructible. So like, like yeah. It, yeah. the grain doesn't seem as tight in the new furniture. It just the wood, even if it's supposedly hardwood, just seems softer and, and that's probably because of what you yep. just described. Yeah, yeah. Actually, way back, I haven't read up too much on this, but I remember reading it at one point, way back when the, when they were making wood furniture and pretty much everything was by hand, they would use several different wood species within the same piece of furniture just based on the characteristic and properties of each type of lumber with the functionality of the piece hmm. itself. It, you know, they put a lot of thought and time into it. And so when you think about, you know, I, I'm not even going to say I, I, could, I couldn't do that. I'd have to look up a whole bunch of stuff before <laughs> I would, you know, accurately do it like they did. And mm -hmm. so when you think about just that mindset right there, how much longer do you think it would take them to make a piece of furniture than me? And so now you can see the productivity levels. I'm going to get a lot more done, but theirs is going to be completely handmade and every piece of wood is going to be specific to whatever function that section of the piece is for. You see what I mean? Right. Based on the characteristics of all that stuff. So there's, there's a ton of mapping out and, and everything that they had to do. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you don't see that anymore today and I, I get it. I mean, truthfully, I don't do that. You know, there are certain woods I use for certain applications as far as where it's going to go in the house or the abuse that it's going to get and stuff like that versus you know, just a sign hanging on the wall where it could be anything you want because nothing's going to happen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty wild. They uh, definitely did things differently back then. There's, I, you know, I think one, honestly, one thing, you know, you don't, you don't see too many woodworkers anymore is because people aren't as patient as they used to be. And right. patience is a, a required thing with woodworking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense. And I don't think I would have the patience for it myself because yeah i'm i'm sort of caught up in the rat race of the 24 7 news cycle so <laughs> that would be like the total yep. opposite but yeah it is a form of artistry definitely you have to you can't rush you know something like that uh it, it has to be done the best way possible and it sounds like you're totally dedicated to that as far as the grand opening can you tell us a little bit more i know it starts friday and goes into saturday and what you're gonna have like raffles what else are you gonna have going on yeah so it starts friday it's 12 to 7 on friday and 9 to 5 on saturday that's february 12 and 13. we just got a huge truckload of lumber yesterday to get it all stocked up in there so it's pretty full now and we got all, all sorts of lumber there we're gonna have different raffles and and stuff there probably have a free coffee as long as the coffee pot don't break you know what i mean <laughs> and uh there'll be like free packaged cookies and stuff but some of the so some of the raffles the two big ones one is going to be at the walt seven tool battery set and in order to enter for that raffle you have to spend at least fifty dollars on lumber anybody that buys lumber ever knows fifty dollars is not very much when it comes <laughs> to that and then the second one you have to spend up to a hundred dollars to get into that second one but but if you spend a hundred bucks, you can enter both. That one, I'll explain in a minute. That one has to go toward our. That one goes toward our loyalty program, and I can explain that here in a second. 
The other raffles will be free raffles. You just enter, you know, put your, your name and email address in, and that'll be for a T-shirt, sweatshirt, coffee mug, you know, odds and ends like that. Uh, some of the smaller stuff. We'll have some merchandise there up in the front for sale as well, but um, that's, uh, yeah, that'll be cool. But anyway, the loyalty program that we're introducing this weekend, I think it's a pretty good one. I try and set up this, I'm trying to set up this store provide as many opportunities out there for people like me who may just be getting started or maybe they've been in a long time but i want to make it so that if i walked in the doors of my store i'd be like wow this is exactly what i needed to find you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so for me that means it's lower prices which obviously means that i'm not making as much as i could but again that's not the purpose of of the store for me the purpose is the community and, and the relationships that we can get and everything else will come after that. That's, I mean, that's kind of just the way I run my business. And so far it's been working out pretty good. But then the other thing is this loyalty program and this loyalty program is you get a, you get a punch card and they'll have, you have to get 10, 10 punches on it. Well, you get a punch every time you spend a hundred dollars per visit. So once you fill it, but once you fill up that card of 10, you get another card after that. And that one gives you 10% off for the remainder of the year for hardwood lumber. Not the exotics and plywoods and stains and stuff, but it gives you 10% off for the, for the remainder of the year. So mm. for someone like me, I'd go in there and probably in two weeks, I'd have my card filled up. And that means from, you know, March 1st all the way to December 31st, I get 10% off all of my hardwood after that. And so I think that's a pretty good, pretty good deal if you ask me. So that's, so the one, so the raffle that you spend a hundred dollars for, that'll get in for one of the ten percent off cards that's already ready to go. You can get ten percent um, off the rest of the year. Gotcha. So, well, that's yeah. yeah. That's if you're anybody that buys lumber, that's this is going to be the place for you to be for sure <laughs> this weekend. If you're anywhere yeah. near Hellertown. Yeah. Yep. The name wanted to touch on that too quick. Maple Street Woodworking and never thought about water street woodworking or <laughs> well maple street so everybody asked when we moved if it would stay maple street woodworking or if we change it and i said we're going to keep it for well one because we already had established our brand out in ohio but two it always reminds me where i came from so mm-hmm. uh, where the business came from really i mean i came from hellertown but the business came from maple street in cedarville ohio that's the street i lived on so Maple Street Woodworking it is, and that just, that reminds me where I started, and reminds me what it took to get where I'm at so far, and that memory is going to go on as long as the business is alive, mm-hmm. and I think that's important because it started in a small little village with a lot of friends and a good tight-knit community, just like Mayberry from Andy Griffith, <laughs> and that's the type of feel that I want my business to have no matter if I stay the size I am, if I shrink, or if I get huge. I don't know, that's not up to me. But I want people to know that they're welcome and that they're cared for and that we want that we're all in this together to succeed together. Great reason to, to keep the name for sure. And just to conclude, your address is 76 West Water Street in Hellertown. Yes. Your regular hours are going to be... Yeah, regular hours are going to be Monday through Friday, 10 to 6, and Saturday, 9 to 3. Okay, Saturday, 9 to 3. And there's, yep, one other thing I want to point out that we're going to be doing. Back in college, I started this thing with a a handful of guys. Every Friday, it was Friday morning at that point. Every Friday morning, we'd have coffee hour in the dorm room, and 
then we moved, I moved, I graduated, moved off campus and was on Saturdays from eight to nine in the morning. It was coffee hour. And that, I did that for 10 years and just new friends would, you know, kind of cycle through and people would move on, news come in, whatever. Anyway, that is one thing that I'm going to plan on doing on Saturday mornings from eight to nine before we open. And anybody's welcome to come join, hang out, talk, get some free coffee. And occasionally I might have donuts there or whatever. That was a big part of my life for the last 10 years, and since I moved, I don't have that anymore, but I feel like this is a great opportunity to, again, you know, reinvest in the community and provide that spot for people to come and chat and just make the most of it, but that's going to be up to them. They're going to get out of it what they put in it. I just want to provide the opportunities, and, and we can all have a good time. So that's that's something that'll be starting this Saturday opening weekend. I'll be there at 8 a.m., and uh, if you want a free cup of coffee or whatever, like I said, as long as the coffee pot don't break, it'll be there. And and bring all your lumber-related questions, of course. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. And the website, again, is maplestreetwoodworking.com, correct? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. We're super excited for you. And, you know, I'm personally looking forward to visiting the business. And hopefully this weekend I'll, I'll be able to stop by meeting you and, yeah. and seeing, all, you know, the lumber and... and Last time I was in there, it was a very antiquated laundromat, so it's going to be a big change. <laughs> well, it's different now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the outside looks gorgeous. You, you repainted the building, and it's a, a very attractive color now, and uh, it doesn't even look like the same building anymore, really. So, yeah, yeah. Um, we're excited about that color change for sure, and we're, uh, we're going to hang signs tomorrow and start making it look like it's you know, so identifiable as a lumber store, not right. as a shed attached to Frankie V's. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to mention that you're next door to Frankie V's, the beer distributor, for point of reference. Best wishes for your grand opening and for becoming part of the Hellertown business community. Yeah, well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and what you guys have done, and especially with writing that article and having me on here. So it'll be great to officially meet you, and I look forward to it. We've been recording No Rain Dates since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face on every tower.